surfs up at SeaWorld. Ride the tide on the new stand and roller coaster. Rip the rails and shred sideways. Shred upside down. Shred 110 foot high. This is how it would have looked if the surf coaster rightfully opened with other standing roller coasters in the late 90s. Now that it's some um, 24 years late, what is the reason behind its success? On today's episode of Coaster Theory, we catch the wave into Pipeline's underlying purpose. You see, we failed to see the meaning behind it, and the ride it replaced. Of all the roller coasters built in the last 10 years, which ones stand out the most? Inverting spinners, 40 free spins, hyper hybrids, the surf coaster? A truly interesting concept innovated by Bolliger and Mabillard the Swiss coaster designer whose first coaster was, in fact, a standing coaster named Iron Wolf, which has unfortunately found the same fate as many other old-school standing coasters being turned into a floorless. Either that, or they get the axe. This idea of remodeling old coasters isn't anything new to this industry. Vacoma took the uncomfortable Flying Dutchman and turned it into a ride of the future. RMC, the company recruited to maintain old wooden coasters, found a market by fully transforming woodies into today's show stealers. We now see that same trend catching up with the standing coaster. What was once an, I'll get to it if I have time, type of ride, has hit the masses, ranking in tens of millions of impressions across social media. But SeaWorld doesn't simply pluck such a marketable ride from the masses. Instead, the right pieces fell into place, and with some marketing and a whole pantheon of luck, you could say they caught the right wave. Let's start at the beginning. Why would SeaWorld want a standing coaster? Right, they don't have the best track record, most people find them uncomfortable, and, well, who wants to stand on a ride after standing in line? It'd be no surprise to me if this coaster came about due to the trustworthy partnership between SeaWorld and B&M. B&M has installed a coaster at each one of SeaWorld's major properties. Four, including Pipeline, are at SeaWorld Orlando, with a fifth on its way. But why Pipeline? Why shoot for something that's aged out? It all comes down to SeaWorld's expansion strategy. To engage a diverse audience, parks choose to build a diverse attractions portfolio, ranging from family rides to 200-foot roller coasters. Florida is home to two parks under the SeaWorld brand, SeaWorld Orlando, naturally, and Busch Gardens Tampa. Both have been going through crazy rapid expansions, but neither can build whatever they'd like. Instead, they coordinate which rides go where to widen that portfolio. To make this simple, we've broken down the coaster expansion strategy into two categories, gap coasters and unique coasters. Trends show theme parks around the country typically start off by building gap coasters. These are anywhere in the ballpark from family coasters, wooden coasters, launch coasters, hyper coasters, and sometimes coasters with higher forces. SeaWorld's recent expansion strategy has brought them to meet all of the gap coasters, all but the wooden coaster, which doesn't make that much sense considering SeaWorld's location. By building gap coasters, there's something for everyone. Whether you want to take it easy or go for the heights, you won't leave disappointed. But what happens once a park has built all of these? They go with unique coasters. A unique coaster doesn't go everywhere and changes based on location, market, and general audience and is used as an offensive strategy to compete with local rivals. SeaWorld's Manta, a flying coaster by B&M, fits into that unique coaster category. 
This experience is unlike anything in the area and claims the flying coaster territory of Orlando. Universal Studios, located 10 minutes away, will not expand with a flying coaster despite having done so at other sites. So the time had come for another SeaWorld Orlando unique coaster. What will it be? A wing coaster. But then they changed their minds, we'll come back to that in a second. A theme park has one goal. And that's to get as many people through the gate and spending money as possible. And they do that by being eye-catching. You could say between pipeline standing technology combined with the surfing theme, it's eye-catching. Advertising the world's first surf coaster looks good in advertising and on billboards. After two decades of a stainless market, it seems enough time has passed to re-spark interest with the general public, most who didn't know this type of ride existed in the first place. By using Pipeline as a marketing strategy, SeaWorld uses its new attraction as it's meant to be an attraction. But that's all the boring stuff. Of course, SeaWorld wants a popular ride and makes it as consumer-friendly as possible. Since now we know how Pipeline fits into SeaWorld's expansion strategy as their marketing masterpiece, we can begin to peer behind the curtain of roller coaster conspiracy, kicking off with how this thing came about. As we mentioned before, Pipeline is the first in a new line of standing roller coasters created, designed, and produced by B&M. Now, why would B&M care about a stand-up coaster considering its troublesome history? Why reinvent something that's aged out? It's because they have aged out. What happened when parks didn't want them anymore? Did they remove them? No, they took the cheaper, convenient route by going the way of B&M's first coaster and converting them into a floorless meant to make an enjoyable experience from an unpleasant ride. But what if there was another option? A stand-up coaster is a fantastic, unique coaster, which is why we saw a boom in the late 20th century, like how we saw a boom of multi-launches and hybrids in the 2010s. Keeping that standing feature might be of some interest to a park. A great example of this is Six Flags Magic Mountain, or Great Adventure. They both have a traditional standing coaster, but can't convert it into a floorless because they already have one. Now, this is Six Flags, so they could build two of the same thing, but would they? Enter the surf trains. By offering another option, B&M can solve a profitable solution to an industry problem. There's no doubt the surf coaster came about from the relentless switch-up parks were inevitably destined to make thus starting B&M down the path to design a comfortable standing train. But here is the big catch. How do you sell a stand-up train? It'd be safe to say there wasn't an opening day line of parks eagerly waiting to surf trains. It's a stand-up, after all, and that's the problem they're trying to fix. Lucky for us, B&M knows their craft better than anyone, and they had a precise plan to ensure the surf coaster is introduced into the market. The end game was it wasn't just to sell the train, it was to design an entirely new ride to showcase what the surf trains are capable of. Some of us might look at Pipeline and be a little underwhelmed by its layout, the second half, but we're missing the point. This is B&M showing clients how they can make a standing coaster comfortable. The name of the game here is to target one person instead of the whole industry, so then at the very least, your ride is on display. The same strategy had been done by other designers, Mock Rides, and RMC. 
Mock Rides uses the local Europa Park as a testing ground for newer models, but are really selling to a trusted buyer so Mock can showcase how a full-size prototype operates. This has worked beautifully as Mock has sold Bluefire clones around the world. Before RMC had their unobtainable reputation, they struggled to find a buyer interested in taking a chance on their innovative design. When Six Flags approached RMC regarding the Texas Giant, Six Flags had no interest in a hybrid conversion, only wanting a traditional wooden retrack. RMC offered the wooden retrack, but slipped in another offer, pitching the steel I-beam track. New Texas Giant ended up becoming RMC's first hybrid coaster, and once it was done, plenty more jumped at the opportunity. These examples go to show that roller coasters are only as good as they are in the market, making it crucial for B&M to get their prototype into the hands of a buyer. Zach, this is cool, but you fail to answer your own question. How did B&M sell the surf coaster? First, they'd need a buyer who they already have a trusted partnership with. Second, they'd need a buyer who might be interested in marketing the world's first. And third, it helps to have a buyer who might be interested in the smaller price tag of a prototype. The cherry on top would be if B&M could show they are the ones taking the risk. They do this by trading a more expensive, already established coaster for the riskier prototype. They trade a wing coaster for the surf coaster. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we enter the part of the video where we put the theory in coaster theory. So tighten those restraints because here we go. A wing coaster allows riders the one-of-a-kind opportunity to sit off the side of the track. This feature offers the sensation of flying and the chance to pull off some incredible near misses. This is also the type of ride heavily speculated for SeaWorld Orlando long before we knew a surf coaster was ever a thing. Though it was never anything more than some leaks and playful rumors, we've speculated a wing coaster wouldn't just fit well, but was more than likely considering SeaWorld's corporate expansion strategy. Busch Gardens does not have a wing coaster, which opens the slot for SeaWorld. This is where I presume B&M started work on the wing, but sees the opportunity to switch it out for what I presume was a launched wing coaster for a launched standing coaster. When you look at the wing and surf side by side, they don't look that different. Let's compare Pipeline to Gatekeeper at Cedar Point. Besides the coincidental color schemes, both utilize a large camelback hill and tall corkscrew as prominent first elements. Then, both prefer swooping turns as they near the end. Is it coincidence that there are only two B&M models that utilize a magnetic launch? You guessed it, the wing and the surf. Maybe this wing coaster was meant to replace Empire of the Penguins. Or maybe it was meant as a front gate coaster like Gatekeeper. Going off the rails, it'd be funny if this wing coaster was named Emperor, introducing a new Arctic land. At this point in time, the prior Arctic land would have been standing without its main attraction, Empire of the Penguins. Perhaps a few different ideas were up in the air, one of which could have been in favor of demolishing the current land to build a new section stretching from the front gate to the park's other Arctic attraction, Wild Arctic. Icebreaker would have been the family attraction, the first of two phases in this Arctic land expansion. When the plan switched from the wing to pipeline, Icebreaker was left feeling out of place. 
far from the still-standing Arctic land. But what sold SeaWorld on the deal wasn't just the increase in marketing potential from a ride that on paper does the same thing. There could have been a two-for-one deal. That's right, B&M didn't just sell one prototype, they sold two. Penguin Trek arrives at SeaWorld in 2024. Replacing that former Empire of the Penguins ride, this coaster is the solution to resuscitate the Arctic land. This family coaster is also a first of its kind by B&M, who brilliantly introduced two new attractions into the market. There is certainly no wonder why SeaWorld bought Pipeline. The surfing theme is the perfect type of eye candy that fits so well. The cheaper cost for a prototype would save a buck that'd be better reinvested into the troubled Arctic land. And the marketing would brilliantly trick you into thinking you're not just surfing the waves, but surfing past SeaWorld's expansion failures. As for B&M, they get their cookie cutter concepts off the shelf and into the hands of a buyer. All while getting the chance to redeem themselves with a model everyone thought they buried. If you made it this far and enjoyed our surf coaster theory, buckle into that subscribe button for more videos just like this. Oh, and by the way, since SeaWorld didn't get the wing coaster after all, that reopens the expansion slot over at Busch Gardens Tampa. So keep your eyes peeled on that safari, because with the B&M buzz going around the chain, a wing coaster might be closer than you think. Anyways, thank you all for watching. I'm Zach, your go-to for all sorts of theme park media, and I will catch you in the next one.